you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We're reading from Psalm 8, 1 to 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praises of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set up, set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers of the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you, City on Hill. My name's Dave. Have the great privilege of being the youth pastor here. Yeah. My heart's especially full this morning to see so many youth serving amongst us. I hope you're having a good day as well. As we come to God's word, we're going to pray. So pray with me. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you might give us faith like a child to hear it and receive it and trust it with all of our might. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From the collected works of Winnie the Pooh. Once upon a time, a very long time ago now, about last Friday, Winnie the Pooh lived in a forest all by himself. One day when he was out walking, he came to an open place in the middle of the forest. And in the middle of this place was a large oak tree, and from the top of the tree there came a loud buzzing noise. Winnie the Pooh sat down at the foot of the tree, put his head between his paws, and began to think. First of all, he said to himself, that buzzing noise means something. You don't get a buzzing noise like that, just buzzing and buzzing, without its meaning something. If there's a buzzing noise, somebody's making a buzzing noise. And the only reason for making a buzzing noise that I know of is if you're a bee. Then he thought another long time and said, the only reason for being a bee that I know of is making honey. And then he got up and said, and the only reason for making honey is so as I can eat it. So he began to climb the tree. What a woefully self-centered way of viewing the world, that is. (laughs) To put the existence of one of our most important animals, and indeed an entire ecosystem, down to your own snack food preference is a special kind of privilege that you think you have. And either Winnie the Pooh is right, and he really does hold some special place in the overarching story of the universe, or he's wrong and he's overstating his importance in the most outrageous way. 
Now, the philosophical technical term for this would be ontological overreaching. Sadly, I don't have a puppet here this week to explain long words like that. Uh, Charlie couldn't be with us. He's actually been drafted to play for the West Coast Eagles because <laughs> they need all the help they can get at the moment. Um, but let me explain what ontological overreaching means. Uh, to put it very simply, Winnie the Pooh thinks he's more important than he really is. He's a little bit full of himself, and he does it in the most adorable way, but, but we have to admit that this bear of very little brain thinks he's more important than he really is. He's wildly misunderstood his role in the universe, and he's showing a huge lack of self-awareness in doing it. And so we might look at Winnie the Pooh and condemn, to point the finger and judge until we realize, actually, I do know somebody like that someone who's prone to think a little bit more of themselves than they should, but actually, I am somebody like that sometimes. I have the ability to to hijack every conversation and make everything all about me, to to pretend that the world revolves around me, and and we know people like that, because we are people like that, who who wildly overstate our importance in the grand scheme of things, people who who seem to think that the sun shines out of their ears, and, and nobody likes that person, because that kind of behavior is ugly, isn't it? Even in ourselves, we have to admit that is ugly, because it's overreaching, for any human to think like that. Well, that's Winnie the Pooh. But on the other hand, you have someone like this man, Peter Singer. He's a philosopher from Melbourne, and he's done some really great things for animal rights. But in doing so, he's also presented a really low view of humanity. Because he's famous for his view that the value and worth of a human is based on what they can contribute on how much they have to offer the world. And so I think I'm understanding him correctly when I say that given the choice between a disabled child and a healthy golden retriever, Peter Singer would choose the dog. It's fair to say that when it comes to his view of humanity, he's less like Pooh Bear and a little bit more like Eeyore. And it's, it's something that makes us uncomfortable. Regardless of what you think of his logic, most of us have to admit that kind of thinking about another human as less valuable than a creature, it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? And so while overreaching is ugly, undervaluing another human feels wrong too. And so somewhere between Pooh Bear and Peter Singer, there has to be another way. And that's where Psalm 8 comes in. Psalm 8 gives us a view of humanity that's not just balanced, it's incredibly hopeful and and really quite surprising. So if you like taking notes, we're going to tackle this psalm under three headings, and the first heading is divine glory. The fact that Psalm 8 starts and ends with the same line of praise to God is a big clue that divine glory is the whole point of this whole psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, verse 1 says. And then again in verse 9, how majestic is your name. God, you're great, the psalmist says. Throughout all the earth, everywhere, your name is impressive. It's grand, it's powerful, it's majestic. 
And it's quite clear in this psalm who is the one worthy of praise. It's the Lord. But why? Why is the Lord's name so majestic and so worthy of praise? Well, the answer is babies. Because of babies. Look at verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What? We've gone from the great majestic God of the universe to little babies. What do they have to do with anything? Well, well, it's not just about them. It's about what God does and can do through them. He establishes his strength. He sets up a stronghold, an impenetrable fortress against his enemies. He wins a victory over the deepest darknesses through these little children. He does this by lifting up the insignificant ones, the the lowly ones. The reason God should be praised in Psalm 8 is because of what he does with humans. And so we could put it this way. God is worthy of glory because he uses little people to do great things. God is worthy of glory because he uses little people to do great things. Now, Psalm 8 is a psalm of David. And David should know. He was just a little child when he faced Goliath, defeated the giant, and as a little shepherd boy with a slingshot, brought an entire kingdom to its knees. But we're not supposed to see a story like that and see what God does through people and say, how great are the people? We're supposed to see the story and say, how great is God? That he can overcome mighty warriors and all kinds of giants and bring armies and nations and kingdoms to their knees using people that nobody else would ever pick for their team. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth because you can do that with them. God is worthy of glory because he can use little people to do great things. And yet it's at this point that the psalm takes a strange turn. Because while divine glory is the point of the whole psalm, it does tell us an awful lot about ourselves as humans, which takes us to our second heading, human dignity. Look at verse 3 with me. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Let's do that for a second. Let's consider the heavens, the moon and the stars, just for a moment. I don't know how many I can see, In the night sky, when I look up of an evening, I do know that since moving to Geelong, the number is higher than it was when I lived in Melbourne. But whatever the number is, thousands, millions, the experts say we can see less than 1% of the stars in our universe, even with the best technology. There are trillions of stars in creation that we will never get to see or reach or understand. And David says, they are but the work of God's fingers. To put them in the sky, he didn't need to put his back into it. 
He didn't have to lift with his knees. He didn't even need both hands. With only his fingers, he placed them. Dainty, delicate little artworks, one by one. Because he's that powerful. And when we consider that, when we consider the size of the heavens and the power of the God who put them there, it, it makes us feel small, doesn't it? Can we really look out at a universe like this and feel anything else? Can we look at the indescribable power of a star as it explodes, the unimaginable force of our galaxy as it forms? Can we look at this universe and possibly feel even a little bit important? The Bible says, yes, totally. In fact, we should. That's not overreaching. Because look at verse 4. As we consider these things, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Having considered the work of God's fingers, David asked a question. God, how can it be that you take an interest in us? How could it possibly be that we are even on the radar in a universe like this? You can hear the surprise in his voice. That, that God would think thoughts about us or, or feel feelings about us, that the God of the universe would care for us. But as we go on in the psalm, we, we see there's more than that. We're not just on the radar. God has given us a job to do, an incredibly high and significant part to play in this creation. He made us the rulers of it. In a very real way, he's, he's put us in charge as his representatives on the earth. Psalm 8 puts it like this in verse 5. You have made them, that's humans, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. We are rulers. That's in our DNA as humans to rule over creation and represent God to the world. That's what we do here. And that gives us an incredible dignity. That God made you in his image. And he put you here as his representative. That means you matter. You matter. You didn't earn that role, but you can't lose it either because... God just gave it to you. He decided that would be your part to play. And it does not depend on what you can offer. It doesn't depend on you being able-bodied or disabled. It doesn't depend on you being weak or strong. It doesn't depend on you being young or old. God doesn't choose the dog. He chooses you. He gives you a job to do in this creation. He makes you a ruler, which gives you incredible dignity. But there is a problem with that. 
I don't really feel like a ruler sometimes. I'm a father of two toddlers, and that's got to be part of the reason why. But we're all faced with our helplessness from time to time, aren't we? I was looking around the archives of my computer recently, and I found this document. Key dates for City on a Hill, Melbourne, 2020. Last edited on the 1st of February, 2020. Gospel community launch barbecues. What a great idea that would have been. Easter baptisms. Oh, we missed those, didn't we? Introducing Jesus, course, City on a Hill, conference, more baptism, women's teaching nights, you name it, and it didn't happen. This document is just painful reading because it's a parable of human insignificance. A painful reminder that we're not as in charge as we might like to think. Certainly not as in charge as Psalm 8 suggests we should be. It's hard to feel like we have a lofty position as rulers when, when a single virus can bring us so low. And so we've got to ask, what's gone wrong? What explains the gap between Psalm 8 and our current experience? Well, here's what went wrong. Ontological overreaching. Instead of taking the incredible job that God made us for, we decided to apply for another one. We wanted his. We didn't just want the gig of ruling the world, we wanted to be God's. Not just to have things under our feet, but to get all of the praise and make ourselves the subject of verse 1. Tim Keller calls that cosmic plagiarism. Paul just calls it sin. Either way, we, we tried to replace God. And when we did... Things were thrown into chaos. Our rule of creation was totally fractured, and now things don't work like they're supposed to. And that starts to explain why it's so frustrating sometimes, why the birds of the air in verse 7 won't stop pooing on my windscreen, or the fish of the sea also in verse verse 7 managed to get the bait without taking the hook. This explains why I just can't keep my houseplants alive, no matter how hard I try. When it comes to gardening, I've killed before, and I will probably kill again, because creation is subject to frustration somehow. This explains why it's so frustrating, not just with the natural world, by the way. I think this starts to explain why the office printer hates me so much as well. Because though I'm supposed to be a ruler, the world is thrown into chaos subjected to frustration somehow, and that's why I feel so helpless in the face of sickness. That's why I feel so overwhelmed about what the future might hold. Because whatever Psalm 8 says, there feels like there's a gap between that and my experience. So how do we hold on to the hope of Psalm 8 in the face of our inability to rule effectively so often? How can we possibly hold on to the hope of Psalm 8 knowing that it doesn't take much for our dreams to lie deflated in the dirt? 
Well, this is where Jesus comes in. Because while we might read Psalm 8 and feel like we're not there anymore, Jesus shows us that the problem is actually we're just not there yet. That takes us to our final heading, human glory. Hebrews chapter 2, chapter two picks up Psalm 8 and begins to run with it. Verse 5, the author of Hebrews says, It's not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, Psalm 8, in case you're wondering, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. It's a Psalm 8 quote. But then in verse 8, the author takes Psalm 8 and runs with it. He says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. That is the frustration. It doesn't feel like this is true yet, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everything. We may not see everything under our feet, but we do know a guy, one whom could, who could still the wind and the waves, one who could walk on water or, or turn it into wine, one who could speak a word and fix a sick body or even raise the dead. We do see him who faced the very worst of this creation, the thorns, the nails, one who even faced a final breath. And then he won. He rose from the dead. He trampled it under his feet. He, he triumphed over every enemy and all opposition. Jesus rose as the rightful ruler over all creation. Which means Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He lived as a human. He faced the brokenness of creation as a human and he triumphed over it as a human. And so when he did, because he did, God gave us the gift of dignity all over again. See, Jesus is more than just the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He's the first fruits of it. It's a bit like a bag of oranges. Went and bought this bag this morning. And the thing about bags of oranges is they're a very high-risk strategy to fruit consumption. See, there's a lot of oranges in this bag, and I just don't know what they're going to be like. And so I'm full of angst and nervousness, right? I, I just, I paid more than I'd like to admit for a bag of oranges this morning. But here's what's going to happen this afternoon. I'm going to sit down, 
and I'm going to put this in front of me. I'm going to try and slow my heart rate, take a deep breath, and slice it open. And when I do, one of two things will happen. Either I'll be pleasantly surprised at the juiciness and the color of this beautiful piece of fruit, or I'll be faced with a sour and flaky ball of disappointment. But as soon as I cut the first one open, I know exactly what the rest of the bag will be like as well. If this is good, I'm in for a fantastic July. If this one's terrible, these are all going in the bin. And here's the point. Jesus is the first orange of the bag. And that's why we can hold on to the hope of Psalm 8. Because what happened to him will happen to us too. Just as he rises from the dead, so we will rise too. And then it gets a little bit surprising because it gets even better. We do more than just rise. We rule and we reign with him as well. You saw it in Hebrews 2. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. It's to us. We were made lower than the angels, but only by a little bit, and only for a little while. Because the day is coming, Paul says, when we will judge them. We will rule over them. Revelation 3 takes it even further and pictures the throne room to, to a church that is suffering. And, and John says to this church, as you picture the throne room, and you think about where you might be in the seating arrangements, maybe on the outskirts looking in, maybe close to the throne singing loudly, John says, no. You sit on the throne with Jesus. You rule and you reign with him. If that feels like it's overreaching, you're starting to get how David felt when he wrote the psalm. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? How can this be? C.S. Lewis once said, there are no ordinary people You have never talked to a mere mortal. And he's right. Because God has given all of us a surprising level of dignity. And if you're in Christ, there's even more to come as he brings many sons and daughters to glory, to rule and reign in the new creation with him. So what do we do with that? What do we do about Psalm 8? There are so many directions we could go, but it is next gen Sunday. We want to celebrate all the work that God's doing amongst the young people here. It's been great to have the youth serving on so many different teams. And with that in mind, I want to go in a particular direction and highlight two errors that we want to avoid as we think about Psalm 8. The first one is this, undervaluing 
See, you can't possibly read Psalm 8 and undervalue another human being. You just can't do it. Because God's given every single one of us dignity so we don't look down on anybody. And if we're in Christ, he will give us glory. To, you just can't undervalue humanity. Now, now, usually, it's a very, very bad idea to hear a sermon and apply it to somebody else before you apply it to yourself. Okay? Oh, a sermon on judgmentalism. I know just the person who needs to hear that this week. Take the log out of your own eye, sending that straight to Johnny. It's just a bad idea, almost always, but not for Psalm 8. Here's one to apply to everybody else first. That as you look around church, the city kids' room, as you walk down the street, here is a being with an incredible level of dignity. Here is a ruler, no mere mortal. Here is someone that God is mindful of. So don't undervalue them, will you? Apply this to them, and then apply it to yourself as well. You can have self-esteem as a human being, always. Because your self-esteem does not depend on your self-perception. It depends on God's perception of you. And he is mindful. He he cares for you. And so you can stand up tall. Psalm 8 would push us even further than that when it comes to undervaluing other humans. Psalm 8 would point out, we, we don't just value people for their potential. We value them as they are right now even when they seem weak, especially when they seem weak. Because it's in their weakness that God wins. It's in weakness that God establishes his stronghold. So here's something. Children are not the future of the church. They're just the church. They're not potential Christians. They're God's children now. And they have just as much right to be here as you or I do as adults, which is none at all except that God cares for us and graciously dies for us and wonderfully invites us to be part of his family. So let's welcome people and treasure people and, and dignify people of every age and every stage and every ability. Not just because of what they could be one day, but because of who they are now. That's what God has made them to be. Amongst the youth leaders, we have a running joke uh, that sometimes youth ministry is tricky and complicated, and there's lots going on, and it's hard to know what to do. And in that moment, if you feel overwhelmed, you need to put your hand up and say, I need an adultier adult. And that's your declaration, that sometimes you just need someone with more wisdom, a little bit more experience, a calmer head that only comes from having been around a while. I need an adultier adult. 
It's not hard to think of times when that feels true, is it? All of us need an adultier adult every now and then. But I wonder if Psalm 8 would also suggest that sometimes we need a childier child too. Maybe as a church, we need teenagier teenagers every now and then. Don't we need someone in our midst with a little bit less cynicism? Someone with a little bit more boldness? Someone who's a little more willing to be vulnerable and dependent? Someone who's less self-conscious? Don't we need someone who can stare all of our giants in the face and declare that my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do? Don't we need someone who can face our brokenness and our overreaching and and our sinfulness and our fallenness and, and sing without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. What a gift that is to us. What a stronghold that is against every enemy. What an error it would be to undervalue the little people through whom God can do great things. There's a second equal and opposite error to undervaluing humanity. And it's overreaching. Because you can't possibly read Psalm 8 and start to overreach either. You can't think about the way that God has elevated us and think we are the ones worthy of praise. God should get all the praise because he can and he does and he will for all eternity use little people to do great things. And so we say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, you have raised us so much higher than we deserve. You have given us dignity. You have shown us grace. You've given us glory. So we pray that we would love one another the way that you have loved us. And that for all eternity, you would be the one who gets all the praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.